open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1 today and stand as we read God's holy word. John 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. May God bless this reading of His Word today. Please have a seat. I want you to think, I don't even have to poll you if this has happened to you. I know it has. But I want you to think about one of the longest nights you've ever had in your life. Just a night that just seemed to go on forever. Where you're just watching the clock. Maybe you had insomnia. Maybe you're just sick. Maybe you're just worried about something. But just the night just slowly, inexorably went on. And it just felt like the morning would never get there. A long, long night. Maybe it was, as it was for me, when your friend invited you to go tent camping for the first time. You thought, that sounds like a good chance to get in touch with nature, to really become a man, to experience the outdoors. And you realize that at night, the outdoors does not have a heating control switch. It gets very cold, even sometimes in the middle of summer. And you're lying there, and you're you, you miss your bed and you're sleeping in a sleeping bag, but you can feel every root and every rock underneath your back. And you're listening to this sounds, you know, imagining like a grizzly bear. That's got to be a grizzly bear, right? It's coming out of the woods. It's going to come right for your tent. And you're lying there wrapped up like a little burrito. And he's going to eat you, you know? So your imagination goes into overdrive. And you're just lying there shivering, waiting for the morning to come because you're too profoundly uncomfortable to sleep cursing your friend who's over there snoring in bliss, wishing that you had never come. The longest night of your life, no matter how long it felt to you, was not nearly as long as what the world endured. The longest night of the world. You see, when we're looking at the Christmas story, the Christmas story doesn't automatically begin with chestnuts roasting on an open fire and people singing wonderful uh, carols and opening up presents with family doesn't even open with Christmas pageants. Rather, the Christmas story, the true start of it, starts in the longest, coldest, darkest night the world has ever known. The real Christmas story starts with us lost, 
lost in our sin, and overwhelmed. It starts with the cold truth that none of us could save ourselves. At the end of Isaiah chapter 8, he's looking at the world around him, and Isaiah writes about people living in a dark world. He says, this is the state of things. He says, I'm looking around and everybody's asking for directions and answers. But instead of them going to God, Isaiah says, they're going to themselves. They're looking for answers in themselves. And he writes this. He says, distressed and hungry, they roamed through the land. They looked toward the earth and they saw only distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. That's where the Christmas story starts. Distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. At this point, you may leave and go to another church that has a happier message. But this is where we're going to start today. And the world that Isaiah talks about here, this dark world, it's the same world of sin that people, pagans are living in even today. And they know it's broken. I've never met one of my friends who's a non-believer who would tell me that this is a great world that this is a perfect world. Every one of them will complain and will say, look at how broken and how wrong the world is. But instead of looking to God for answers, they look to themselves. They look to others. They look to science and philosophers and politicians and economists. And they look for, for anything, anybody who would come up with some sort of innovation, some sort of philosophy that would lead us toward healing and world peace and a better life. But they never find it. None of them can figure out a way to save their souls from keeping them to going into the utter darkness that Isaiah goes on to write about, a night for them that will last for all eternity. Yet just as dark as things seemed, as as the world was going on in this cold, dark night, Isaiah, in the very next chapter, in chapter 8, he says, guys, look, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's that image of after the longest, coldest, darkest night of your life, there on the horizon, the sun starts to shine. It's just a hint at first, but before long, it's brilliant. On the horizon, a light dawns. And it's this light that the Apostle John writes about in the introduction to his gospel. It's not a light that comes from the smartest scientist or the most charismatic politician, but rather it's our light that comes from outside our reality, breaking in to our world. Now, if you ever read John and you, you get really interested in the Christmas story, you look at Matthew and Luke and you get those great accounts of the wise men and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, and then you go to John looking for more Christmas story, you really get a very different tack. It's a, he has a really different way that he starts out the Christmas story because instead of looking at the events of Christmas, he looks at the nature of Christ and who this is. He actually goes back to the beginning of the world and then brings us up to speed. And John uses two metaphors here to talk about Jesus. He, t- he talks about him as the Word, but it's the second metaphor I want to look at today as Jesus as the light. And that's what we want to look at as we look at John's metaphor, as Jesus bringing a true light that brings an end to the very cold, very long, very dark night of sin and suffering in the world. 
In fact, if we ever do get, and we will someday, get around to studying the Gospel of Mark, we're going to go into much deeper uh, investigation into this theme that he introduces here in chapter 1 of a battle between light and darkness. And he carries this all the way through his Gospel. The light being Christ and the darkness being sin. Diametrically opposed. They're at odds with each other. They're battling for supremacy. And John brings this up because at the beginning of his gospel, darkness is winning. Darkness has been here, in fact, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when man fell, when sin came into the world, and a deep, vast spiritual darkness came upon the whole world. We couldn't see it with our physical eyes, but we could sense it spiritually as sin was everywhere. There wasn't a corner of the world the darkness didn't touch. And every single one of us knew it intimately. We knew that darkness. We lived that darkness. We knew it better than we know the layout of our house, better than the stats to our favorite sports team, better than the quotes to our favorite movie. We intimately knew this darkness. But when Christmas morning came and a baby was born in a manger, we knew the darkness, but we did not know him. He was a stranger to us. John said that people weren't holding up a ticker tape parade. They weren't standing outside the manger with those little pennant flags waving around going, the light of the world is here. Jesus is here. It was all but ignored. He was a stranger to us. John says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came as a stranger to our world. And you actually sense that throughout all of the Gospels and every encounter he has with people. Some people outright hate Jesus. They loathe him. But those that don't are amazed at him. They've never encountered anybody like this before. The things he teaches, the way he lives, how his relationship with God, it's a revelation to them. He is a stranger to them. They're accustomed to living in darkness. And here comes one who's not just living in the light, he is the light. He's their stranger. And it's just, it's bizarre to them. Now, we told our kids they were never to talk to strangers. We think that's good advice. Don't, don't go up to strangers and just introduce themselves. I had to tell them that because Jeremiah, when he was a little one-year-old, he had this propensity of just jumping in the arms of strangers. I was there at Panera's one day, and he leapt out of my arms. I can't get out of my, my home fast enough. He leapt into the arms of the cashier, and she just like lit up. She loved it. That we, we had to tell them as they grew up, you can't talk to strangers. And they said, well, Dad, how could we ever get to know strangers? I said, well, that's a great question. Um, the way you're going to get to know strangers is we will introduce you to them. We will make that introduction, and we will tell you what you need to know about them. Like, beware of Tim Christie. Stay far away from him. He's dating. No, I'm just... There's, you know, we will tell you what you need to know so that they will no longer be a stranger to you. People in darkness today still see Jesus as a stranger. And even though there are Bibles littering this world like you wouldn't believe now, I have met so few people in their life that ever got to know Jesus Christ by randomly picking up a Bible and opening it up. Almost everybody who gets to know Jesus does so because somebody introduced them. To him because he's a stranger to them and somebody said let me introduce you to my savior my friend the one i love and the one who loves me 
Who do you know that needs to be introduced to Jesus Christ? I know it can be awkward, but God puts those opportunities in your, your... Is my mic off? No? Okay. God puts those opportunities in, in your life for you to be able to open up in these conversations, just have these natural conversations, saying, let me tell you more about Jesus. Let me tell you more about what he means to me. Now, most all of us turn a light on when we go into a room at night. We do this because we want to get the lay of the land. We want to know, you know where things are so we don't stub our toes. I used to live, I, I used to pride myself in not doing that. That was before kids. I, I would live, I would just zoom around the house in the dark. I was like, I know where everything is. And then I had kids, and with kids come toys. And they're, you know, not the squishy little Nerf toys. I'm talking dinosaurs with pointy things that kids leave like little caltrops all over the house. I'm talking Legos that if you ever step on one, you are convinced you need to go to the hospital because they're going to have to remove your leg. It's so painful. And so I have to turn on the light now. I have to see if there's nothing painful or gross or weird that I'm going to step on. I need the light to illuminate the room. In verse 9 here, John's Christmas story says, the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. I want to get this impression that Jesus is flipping on a light switch. What had been dark is now illuminated. And not just a little bit. Whenever John uses the word true, what he is saying here is it is eternal. It is all-encompassing. It is forever lasting. So when he calls Jesus the true light, he's not saying Jesus is a light that's a little flicker in the darkness and gone for good. He's saying that light turns on. It shines everywhere. There's no, there's no shadows left that his light does not illuminate. And it will never go away. It will be here forever. It is a true, all-encompassing, all-revealing light. Jesus threw on that light switch and when he did it, he showed us the real spiritual state of things. We thought we were comfortable living in ignorance, in darkness. We, we rationalized our sin. We said to ourselves, well, it's not really that bad. Things in the world we can live with. We'll just adjust to it. But things were bad. And he had to show it to us first. He had to show us the imminent danger that we were in. And once we see that, once the light is on, we have to decide how we're going to live. Are we going to boldly stride into that room and step on that dinosaur and step on that Lego and, and cause more pain in our life? Or are we going to embrace the light that shows us the right path, the path around sin, the path to Him? In 1 John, the same apostle, he wrote, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. We don't live out our truth. See, you can live in the light. You can live in the darkness. You can't have both, one or the other. Now, if you've ever come out of a very dark room or if you've ever had a loving family member shine a light in your face when you're waking up from sleep, you know that there's that moment where light is actually painful to take in when your eyes are adjusting from complete blackness to brilliant light. And so it is when we're adjusting to Jesus. 
When we, had, when we had the light of the world come to us, we're almost squinting because Christ's brilliance, His truth, what He has to offer us is too much to take in all at once. We can only do it a little bit at a time. We need to adjust as our eyes adjust to brilliant light. And we do that by reading the Bible, by doing it so every single day, so that more and more as our inner light, our inner eyes adjust to His light, we take in His truth, we get to know who He is, what He, what he has done for us, how He wants us to live. And so we adjust. So don't keep squinting in your Christian walk. We need to adjust to the light now that the light switch is on. We need to adjust to Christ by reading Scripture. I don't know if you saw this, but last month, early November, there was a, a really horrible occurrence that happened in New York City. A 24-year-old woman was standing at Union Square, the subway there, and a man rushed up right behind her and deliberately shoved her right into the path of an oncoming subway train. With seconds to spare, not even seconds, like a second, she twisted her body and rolled up, and she, she curled up into a ball right between the two rails. And the subway car ran right over her and just lightly hurt her. I, I, I read that story and I thought, what would it be like in those, that brief moment that suddenly you don't know what happened, but suddenly you're sitting on a railroad track and this train is coming right at Your death is coming right at you. And you have a brief moment to live. And then you do something and you curl up and you're watching, you're hearing that subway car go right over your head, just praying to God, God, let me live, let me live. What would it be like in the moment afterwards when you realize, I'm still alive? I'm still alive. Have you ever had those moments in your life where something really bad could have happened? Where maybe you almost go, you know, that close got, got into a car wreck. That close... Once I was biking, and bi- you know, bikers hate cars because cars never look when they turn corners. And I had, was this close to a car flattening me and making me into a pancake. I slammed on my brake. Actually, I threw my chain off my bike. I was bike braking so hard. You ever have those moments where maybe it's not even life and death, but some other horrible tragedy could have impacted your life, and by the grace of God, tragedy was averted. How do you respond to that? How do you live after that? Usually you have this moment of like praising God. Thank you, God, I'm alive. You know, I'm going to live thankfully. I'm going to, every moment, God, I'm going to live from here on out. It's going to be the best next day. You know, you you forgot everything that happened the day before. You know, you're no longer living those. But for that one day, you're living thankfully. You're living gratefully because you saw what was going to happen and you narrowly avoided it. We who were walking in spiritual darkness had not a subway train heading toward us. We had the eternal darkness of hell steam barreling right at us. Matthew describes it as a great darkness, an unending darkness. There, were, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I can think of nothing more horrible than being subject to God's wrath in the dark, hearing weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Jesus saw that coming right at us, knowing that we could not save ourselves. And that's why he jumps down onto the tracks, shoves us off, and he took that hit for us. He made it his mission to save his children. Verse 5 
talks about this titanic battle when it says, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness wants to overcome the light. It wants to. It wants the light out of there. It wants the state of the world to go back to the way it used to be, where we were ignorant, where we were in spiritual darkness, where hell was coming for us, and it could drag us right down. But now the light is there. And Christ, the true light, does what he does best. He shines. He shines. And he shines his truth, his righteousness, his atonement for us. That's his battle strategy. He shines so brilliantly bright that that's what wins the battle for us in the end. And this is what God does. He does it from the very first verses of the Bible where he's over the form of the void, where it's nothing, the, the existence was nothing but dark. And in that moment, the very first thing God says in the Bible is, let there be light. And in that moment, you weren't there for it, but in that moment, the universe exploded. Brilliant light came out of millions of galaxies, trillions of stars, illuminated everything. Light was here. But that was nothing compared to Christmas morning when God looked down at Bethlehem and said, let there be light. And Jesus Christ came into the world. The true light bloomed everywhere. And suddenly, it was incredible because the battle was on. The battle for our souls. And we had a fighting chance. We had more than a fighting chance. When you narrowly avoid death, when you can finally have that realization that I could have died today, how do you live? You live thankfully, you live gratefully. Well, when you, have, when you stare at the reality of hell in the Bible, when you see where your sin was leading you, what could have happened to you, and you have that realization of what Jesus Christ did in your life, how do you then live? Hopefully even more thankfully, even more gratefully. You live for Him you live for others. You live self-sacrificially. How can you do that this week? Take a moment every week and just have a time where you reflect upon what could have happened and how Jesus Christ, the true light, made sure that it wouldn't. Now, if you were to go back in a time machine, back to Israel in the Old Testament, and you walked up to anybody in, say, Jerusalem, and you said, excuse me, in your fluent Hebrew, as you all know how to speak, you said, excuse me, where does God live? Even a little kid would be able to tell you the answer. They'd point at the temple. They'd point at the tabernacle. Depends on when he went back. And they said, God lives there. He lives in the Holy of Holies in that building right there. We know God lives there. He's at the center of our community. How surreal is that? They could point to a building and say, God lives there. That would have been kind of weird for the people living there if they're ever asking for directions. You know, how do I get there? Well, you, know, you start from the market, you take a left at God's house, and you go down to the end of the block. You know, it's like they, they, I don't know if they took it for granted, but it was, it's weird. Well, it must have been surreal and wonderful for the people living back then to see God's home. But John says, you, you've not seen anything yet. Because God used to live there, but he says this. He says, the Son became flesh, and he made his dwelling 
among us. No longer did God live in a room in a separate building to be representative among the people. He came to live with us as a person. And then after that, came to live inside of us through the Holy Spirit. See the progression of God? Not us getting closer to God, but God getting closer to us. He lived in a building. He came and lived among us. Then he came to live inside of us. God promised the people in the book of Isaiah. He says, I know at this time I seem far away from you, but I will send you Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us, God among us. And with that promise, it wasn't a promise of a temporary visit, but a permanent residence that God would always be with you from then on. He wouldn't come to stay for a week and then leave you forever, leave you high and dry. In John 8, Jesus even reassured his followers by saying this. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, are you the light? Of, are you, whoever follows me, do you follow him? Whoever follows me will not live in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not live in darkness, but will have the light of life. What an incredible promise from our Creator. Once you have the light, you have life. Once you have light, you will never endure another cold, long, dark night of guilt, of unforgiven sin, of God being alienated from you because he cannot stand the presence of your sin. Once you have that light, you and God are forever together. You'll have that light inside of you, that light that fights for you, the light that illuminates the truth for you. And through that, we find such joy. We started in a place of cold darkness, and now we have nothing but brilliant light of communion with our Creator, of the truth that's laid out before of us. In this Christmas season, if you have that light inside of you, let it shine. Let it out in all you say, all you do, small things, big things, conversations, ways that you love people, ways that you love God. Let the light of Christ shine because he's shown for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what an incredible way to start this gospel than to look at how you brought light into the world. Lord, each one of us started in sin. Some of us are still in our sin, still holding on to that darkness in our life. Lord, we are surrounded by a community of people living in darkness. Lord, we pray for the light to break through in their lives. Whether you use us, use somebody else, however you work through, Lord, we ask that your light would show them who you are, how much you care for them, what you want to do for them. Lord, we pray that we who follow you can live with peace and assurance, knowing that no matter what happens in this age of COVID, in this age of turmoil, Lord, we have the assurance of your peace and your salvation and your love with us forever, no matter what. We walk in the light. That is where we belong now. I pray that that would just fill us with joy, fill us with purpose, fill us with you. In your name, amen.